When Alexandra Pesic met and married her husband Joe, she truly believed with all of her heart that she'd gotten her fairy tale ending with the man of her dreams, and that the two of them would live happily ever after. And maybe they would have, except for the fact that when she married Joe, he didn't come alone. No, he didn't have kids from a previous relationship. Instead, he had a meddling mother. Her name was Yelka Pesic. Yes, Alexandra felt she'd landed a bum deal in terms of the mother-in-law lottery and that Yelka's controlling and nitpicking behaviour was not only irritating, but the epitome of the term monster-in-law. But that was it. She had absolutely no idea that her life was actually in danger. Not until one day, out of the blue, a copy of a true crime book arrived in the mail. And this book featured the story of a young woman who was terrorised before being murdered. Several chilling passages describing horrific acts of violence against the woman had been highlighted. But surely this book wasn't going to be inspiration for a mother-in-law from hell to go carry out on her daughter-in-law. Hey Coffee and Crimers, I'm your host, Belle Fagan. Before Alexandra met and married Joe, she was known to have guys falling over themselves to be around her. She'd been described as this beautiful, tall blonde who was just as equally funny and charming as she was stunning. Her parents had moved to the outskirts of Vancouver after immigrating to Canada from Yugoslavia. And as their only child, she was super close to them, especially her mum. Her good looks meant that she was a shoo-in at beauty pageants, winning the Miss Burnaby pageant in 1984 and then entering the Miss Canada pageant the following year when she was only 19. Good evening, everyone. My name is Alexandra Ignatovic and I represent Burnaby, BC. Her parents, though, were traditional working-class people and they wanted her to find a job or a career that would serve her long-term, not just while she had youthful good looks. And really, she could have made it as a model, with her looks, her grace, her charm. A hundred percent, she could have made it in the modelling world. But she agreed with her parents, and had only done the pageants for fun, because it had helped her with her confidence. So after graduating from high school, she became a dental assistant. And she'd work there Monday through Friday, and then spend most of the weekend hanging out with her mum, especially as they shared the same hobby of going to open houses for fun. And hey, don't knock it until you've tried it, okay? (laughs) Because it is a nosy person's ultimate pastime. They'd visit these gorgeous homes for sale and dream about the possibility of one day owning something similar. And this innocent pastime would change the whole trajectory of Alex's life. Because it was at one of these open houses that she would meet her future mother-in-law. As they were peeking into all the rooms along with other couples and families, Alex and her mum overheard a woman speaking their native tongue of Yugoslavian. And let's be honest, it's not the most common of languages, so they did what I'm sure any of us would have. They went over and introduced themselves. The woman's name was Yelka Pesic and she was there with her husband Sam. And her family had also immigrated to Canada from Yugoslavia. So as you can imagine, they quickly hit it off as their families had a similar background and similar values. Yelka told them about how her family owned a car mechanic shop 
and Alex said that she was actually about to book her car in for a service, so this was perfect timing as she'd rather her business go to someone she knew. Yelka was struck by just how lovely this young girl was and immediately saw an opportunity to set her son Joe Pesic up. Giving Alexandra all the details, she told her to come by the shop and her son would get her car serviced straight away. Now, probably unhealthily, but I'm a massive obsessor over the whole sliding doors theory and even the burnt toast theory. Give them both a Google if you don't know what I'm talking about. But it's just insane to me how one chance encounter can change the trajectory of someone's entire life. And in this instance... This chance meeting between Alex and Yelka would destroy everything that was going so right in her life. But at that time, she had no way of knowing that. So she took her car into the Pesic family's mechanic shop and met Yelka's son, 27-year-old Joe Pesic. Her first impressions, he was really cute. And what about Joe's first impressions? Well, he thought that she was one of the most beautiful women he had ever laid eyes on. But way more than that, they hit it off instantly. See why I said it was a fairy tale story of boy meets girl? The two had a lot in common, obviously the biggest being that they both came from traditional Yugoslavian families. He asked her out on a date, she said yes, they shared their first kiss on that date, and they became inseparable from that point on. Alexandra was head over heels and literally would tell anyone that would listen about the new man in her life. And to her closest friends, she confided that she was falling in love with him. He was super charming and romantic, often showing up randomly with a bouquet of flowers just because. No special occasion needed, literally to just show her how special she was. He would also take her on the most romantic dates, including weekend trips away on his motorcycle. Like when you think of a whirlwind romance, you need to think of these two. Because after only one month of dating, Joe popped the question and asked Alex to marry him. And without hesitation, she said yes. Joe's mum, Yelka, was buzzing, absolutely over the moon excited to have a new daughter-in-law that she had basically handpicked. But for Alex, Yelka's red flags soon started flying. Yelka jumped straight into wedding planning mode. Now, yes, the red flags were flying, but not quite at giant status yet. Just a few things here and there that kind of irritated Alex. It was done in a really passive, aggressive way. Like, her demands were all disguised as suggestions. But if Alexandra didn't like the suggestion, then crap hit the fan. Joe would more often than not have to get in between and manage the tension between his mum and his bride-to-be. Not that it stopped the two women from constantly clashing. Yelka wanted a say in everything, from the wedding decorations, the venue, and even the colour of the bridesmaids' dresses. It was relentless, to the point that the night before the wedding, Alexandra nearly called the whole thing off. She wasn't sure if loving Joe was enough to be able to handle her mother-in-law-to-be's demands. Sorry, suggestions. The night of the rehearsal dinner, Alex and Yelka got into a huge fight. Alex's friends tried to calm her down and reassure her that she was just experiencing pre-wedding nerves and that everything would be okay. So the next day, on June 11th, 1988, 
Alexandra and Joe got married in Vancouver in front of their friends and family. A beautiful day that went without a hitch, and even better, without complaining or interfering from Yelka. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The big day over, Alex and Joe headed off for a week in Hawaii for their honeymoon, and everything was perfect. Until they returned back to Vancouver. Settling into married life, things became complicated again. Alex's new mother-in-law would stop by their apartment when they were at work and drop groceries or new clothing off. Alex would come home from working a full day at the dental office to find her fridge and cupboard stocked with food that she didn't buy, plus new outfits bought by Yelka for Alex. Now, I know this might sound awesome to some, but it was food and clothing that she knew Alex didn't buy. So to Alex, it felt that, yet again, Yelka was making suggestions that would cause tension if she bucked against it. Alex just felt super uncomfortable with the way that Yelka was meddling in their lives, and she told Joe as much, which, to be fair, put him in a really uncomfortable position, stuck between his new wife and his mum. But in my opinion, and rightly so, he more often than not would take Alex's side and try and keep the peace with his mum. And I do get why it would be a tricky situation for him, because he had to see his mum every day at the family mechanic shop. Now, this became a constant cycle where the dust would settle, blow up again, settle, blow up again, and so on and so forth. Then, Joe's parents offered the couple a hugely generous gift, $100,000 as a down payment for a house. But with an interfering mother-in-law, you know this is going to come with strings attached, okay? And it did. It was a down payment for a house that Joe's parents had picked out for the newlyweds. A beautiful bungalow located just down the street from them, literally no more than five minutes away from Joe's childhood home. Obviously, Alex had reservations about taking the money because she knew that it would be held over them, specifically her. But for whatever reason, they did decide to take the gift and buy the house picked out for them. 
but what should have been a happy moment, a milestone and a memory wasn't. Not with Yelka around. Almost immediately, Yelka began to try and control the way that Alex and Joe's home was decorated. I mean, that is just wild. For example, Alex wanted to add some red tile in her backsplash, but Yelka made a fuss and simply would not allow it. I think we're all getting the picture that the first year of Alex and Joe's marriage was pretty difficult. The tension between Alex and Yelka was at an all-time high. Joe would sometimes go weeks without talking to his mum, and sadly he actually began to resent Alex for the fact that his relationship with his mum had deteriorated so much he always felt completely stuck in the middle of the two women in his life. Now what would have been the mature, sensible thing to do is set clear boundaries, but instead Joe tried to solve the issue by putting space between his wife and his mum. So with no opportunity to air it all out, the animosity between them just lingered like a big old elephant in the room. Alex was a very independent, capable young woman, and Yelka was living up to the title of monster-in-law. But if you didn't think things were already bad, let me prepare you for it to go from bad to way bad. At the end of 1989, Alex became pregnant with a little baby boy. The couple was over the moon excited to welcome their first child and named him Brandon. But with a new baby now in the family, Joe felt a responsibility to let his mum back into their lives again so that she could form a bond with her grandson. Bad idea, Joe. Bad idea. Almost immediately, Yelka began to try and control what Alex fed Brandon and how often she fed him. The unsolicited baby advice was relentless, again coming across as demands instead of helpful suggestions. And one particular incident really upset Alex. Joe had told her that he was going to be taking her out for a much-needed night out. With a new baby, they hadn't had much time for each other. Plus, Joe thought it would be a great opportunity for his mum to grow closer to the baby. So he asked her to take care of him for the evening. So they drop baby Brandon off at her house and Yelka mentions that she is going to make him a special traditional Yugoslavian tea that will help him sleep well. Now Brandon was exclusively breastfed and Alex didn't want him introduced to anything that wasn't breast milk, let alone some weird random tea. He was still super young, like literally only around five or six months old. So she'd pumped and before leaving made it clear to Yelka that Brandon was only to be fed what she had left with her. So Alex and Joe leave and have a nice date night out. Arriving back at Yelka's to pick up the baby, they find him in a deep sleep, and I am talking deep. Alex touches Brandon to try and stir him, but he doesn't wake up. She checks his pulse and it's weak. First question out of her mouth, obviously, is did you give him that tea? And Yelka admitted that she did. Alex and Joe grab Brandon and rush him straight to the hospital. They have no idea what was in this tea, and Yelka isn't giving them any details. Thankfully, though, Brandon was checked out, and the doctors said he was fine. But, obviously, the trust is now 100% broken between Alex and Yelka. Alex lays down the law and says that Yelka is never allowed to be left alone with her baby again, and I do not blame her a little bit. Instead of going home, Alex needed a breather, so she took Brandon to her mum's house for the night. She was done. 
literally done trying to work things out with Joe's family. So she gave him an ultimatum. He could go no contact and cut ties with his family, choosing her and their baby, or her and Brandon could leave and he could keep his toxic family and stay with mummy. Yeah, now we're all thinking, duh, it's a no-brainer, Joe. But for Joe, it wasn't an easy decision. Financially, he was kind of trapped. He worked at the family mechanic shop. So if he did cut ties, he'd probably lose his job, which was their only source of income. Plus, his family had given them that 100k of money towards their home, and he didn't feel right just cutting them out of their lives without a second glance. In her heart of hearts, Alex knew that whatever Joe decided, he could never fully choose their little family over his parents. So after only two years into their marriage, she filed for divorce. Joe and Yelka were shocked. And just like the marriage, the divorce wasn't going to be easy. It turned ugly. With his family in his ear, Joe demanded everything. He wanted full custody of Brandon and the house. Yelka in particular felt he should have the house because it was her and her husband who had put down such a large amount for them to buy it. And they felt that the divorce was the ultimate betrayal, so Alex should get nothing. Now, thankfully, Alex was able to find a damn good lawyer. Not only did she recount the story about her mother-in-law providing her son with some sort of drugged tea... But she also revealed something about Yelka that was a secret to the rest of the town. She was a thief. Yelka had been known to shoplift for years. In fact, before Alex became pregnant, Yelka had been busted for shoplifting and barred from numerous stores in the area. So Alex used these facts to further argue that her in-laws were not suited to be around her child. And it worked because she got full custody of Brandon, child support, and part of the home. And as you can imagine, the Pessics were big mad. Sad but ready to start a new chapter, Alex and Brandon moved in with her mum. She and Joe sold their home and split the profits. But the Pessics weren't taking this lane down. They were literally stewing in their anger. Allegedly, Joe got into arrears on his child support and wasn't particularly an active hands-on dad. Not only that, but the Pesic family were threatening her. It got so bad at one point that Alex had to get a restraining order out. She was so scared that they were all conspiring something bad against her that she went to the police several times, but every time her pleas were basically ignored. Was she just being paranoid? Well, one day, completely out of the blue, Alex received a paperback book in the mail titled The Death of Cindy James by Neil Hall. Now, I researched the case of Cindy James when looking into this case, so it will definitely be coming to this podcast soon. But if you're unfamiliar with the case, Cindy felt like she was being stalked, harassed and terrorised by someone but didn't know who. She repeatedly went to the police, but police suspected that she was doing these things to herself. Ultimately, Cindy died in a suspicious manner made to look like suicide, but many theories are that she was killed by the person stalking her. And an inquest into her death remains inclusive today. This book detailed everything that had happened to Cindy, and several passages relating to the specific terrors that she'd experienced had been highlighted and underlined. Like whoever had mailed this book to Alex wanted to be sure 
that she read about all the horrific things that Cindy James went through before she died. And I guess saying, watch your back, as this could happen to you. I mean, creepy or what? Although, I will say, if it was me, I'd be thinking, oh, one of my friends knows me so well. In fact, my bestie did send me a true crime book and some chocolate as like a little care package. But I'm guessing Alex wasn't known to be interested in true crime. And also, my friend didn't highlight passages that kind of could relate to me. A few days after she received the book, Alex had a friend over. They were just chilling in the living room while this friend fed baby Brandon a bottle. When suddenly, they heard a crackling sound coming from outside. So they both jump up and looked out the window to see Alex's entire front lawn completely on fire. The chilling part was that it was very similar to what had been described in a highlighted passage in the book she'd received. Suddenly, things that had been highlighted in that book were now happening to Alex, and she was terrified knowing that she was being watched and followed. Another day, while she was at her mum's house, they received a phone call. When her mum answered the phone, she was told by an unknown caller that their coffins were already prepared. She also told friends that there was a specific car that she would often see following her. And one day when driving back over to her mum's, she saw that same car following closely behind. As soon as she pulled into her mum's driveway, she jumped out and ran. The car that had been following her also came to a stop just behind her and a man jumped out holding a gun. But thankfully, he stumbled and fell over, allowing Alex to escape inside her mum's home. She contacted police, but unfortunately, the man was long gone by the time they arrived. Alex was convinced it was her mother-in-law behind the attacks, but police weren't able to link any of it to them, at least of all Yelka, Sam or Joe. Things got so bad and with no help from the police that Alex decided to hire a private investigator named Ozzy Caban to see if they could find out who was stalking her. The car she felt that was following her was a white car, but she didn't recognise it as belonging to anyone she knew. So she gave the private investigator the make and model as well as the licence plate number so that he could look into it. But before she could find anything out, everything came to a head. On August 5th, 1992, Alex and her co-worker, Bernice, were leaving the dental office for the night around 6pm. They both headed towards Alex's car as Alex had begun to ask her friends, family and co-workers to be with her constantly. She hated being alone and often said that she was sure she was going to be murdered. So that night, it was Bernice's turn and she was going to be giving Bernice a lift home. Bernice got into the passenger side of the car and Alex went around and got into the driver's seat. As Bernice looked down to stuff her gym bag on the floor between her feet, she heard a gunshot. Instinctively, she ducked her head right down as she continued to hear more gunshots ring out. And while she did, she sensed Alex's body slumping over the steering wheel and then start falling sideways out of the car. Finally, she heard the screeching of wheels as another car pulled away with voices yelling. Looking across, she saw Alex on the ground, bleeding out from gunshot wounds to her head. She ran back inside to the dentist office to call 911, and within minutes, paramedics arrived, rushing Alex to the hospital, but tragically, she never regained consciousness and was pronounced dead at only 25 years old. 
At the scene, police found four bullet holes in the front and the door of Alex's car. Two bullets had entered Alex's head. Going through the inside of her car, they found an old telephone bill in the console that had a license plate number written on it, but they were unsure of what connection it had. It was summer, so it hadn't been darked as the two women had reached Alex's car, plus the shooting happened in a busy residential area. So there were multiple witnesses for the police to interview. And one witness proved to be especially helpful. He said he saw two people sitting in a red vehicle down the street and it had stood out to him because they were wearing face coverings, baseball caps and had sunglasses on. He said he'd seen them about three hours prior to the shooting and he described the occupants as best he could, which was two white men with dark hair. Another of the witnesses saw a man lean out of the red car, which he believed to be a Camaro, and fire six shots at Alex before driving off. And that witness had managed to get the licence plate number. Obviously, police immediately go grab that bill and check the two licence plates. They didn't match. But it did match a red Camaro that had been stolen just a few days prior. Things were looking up because now at least police had something to go on. One thing was certain, though. This definitely seemed to be a targeted shooting. Alex was the only person shot, nothing had been stolen from her body or her vehicle, and someone had apparently stolen this red car specifically to use in the shooting. Police began speaking with Alex's friends and family, and one name repeatedly kept getting mentioned as someone they should investigate. Her ex-husband, Joe Pessick. Their divorce and custody battle had been super ugly, as we've already discussed, so there was definitely motive there. Speaking to Joe, the first thing they noticed was how unusually calm and unemotional he was, despite the fact that someone he loved not that long ago and the mother of his child had just been brutally shot dead. But he had an alibi. Joe told them that he was at a swimming pool with his son and even had a time-stamped receipt from his entrance to the pool to prove it. And he produced that receipt for authorities immediately. Now, that actually made them more suspicious because it just seemed so convenient that he had everything at the ready. So yes, on the surface, Joe had an alibi. But the police continued to investigate him. Those friends also made sure police knew that Alex had believed she was being stalked. The random true crime book with the highlighted passages and about her front lawn being set on fire. And finally, they also told them that she'd hired her own private investigator. But before they got a chance to call him, the investigator Ozzy reached out directly to the police with his findings after he learned what had happened to Alex. His report showed that on August the 5th, the day that Alex had been killed, Ozzy was actually surveilling Joe. He had seen Joe pick up their son Brandon at 5pm and go to the local swimming pool. So his alibi did check out after all. Ozzy was also surveilling Joe's mum Yelka that same day and he saw her working outside of the repair shop at 6pm, which was the time of the shooting, meaning neither Joe nor Yelka were the ones who could have pulled the trigger. But their spidey senses were still tingling, so the police felt like it was still worthwhile having a few undercover police officers follow them to see if they did anything that seemed sus. Ozzy gave the police the description and the license plate number of the white car that Alex had thought was following her, 
And they realised that they recognised the number as being the same one scribbled on the old bill in Alex's car. When they ran it through the system, it came back as belonging to a man called Milan Nenedic, who turned out to be a family friend who had even attended Alex and Joe's wedding. Milan didn't have much of a record, so it didn't necessarily scream at police that he could have been involved in the shooting itself. A few days later, the stolen red Camaro was found abandoned outside a local McDonald's, and a few McDonald's employees had witnessed the car actually being abandoned, and told police that they'd seen the red car come flying up, two men get out and jump into a waiting white car before it screeched off. And from the partial plate that they remembered, it seemed that the white car was the same one owned by Milan Nenedic, the one that had been following Alex prior to her murder. Inside the red car, police find a palm print and a fingerprint and a hair on the passenger seat. And that's a huge win and actually seriously done with the criminals. The prints come back as belonging to a man named Lawrence Delorme, a well-known car thief. It was likely that it was him driving the red Camaro. Police decide that they need to put a tail on both men to see what the connection was. And on the afternoon of August 10th, undercover police spot Milan going into the Pesic family home. Not long after he arrives, Yelka is seen leaving in her car and driving to the nearby mall. She parks up and police suddenly see Milan sit up in the back seat. He'd been hiding back there the whole time. So Yelka and Milan go into the mall, but separately. They then also leave separately, meeting back at the car. Again, Milan gets on the floor into his hiding spot and Yelka drives back to her house. As she pulls into the drive, police figure that it's now or never. As Milan gets out of the car, police decide to swoop in and make an arrest. And when they do, they find him with $30,000 in cash, all in $100 bills. I mean, that's not sus, is it now? They arrest him on suspicion of Alex's murder, and it looked like he'd been paid pretty damn handsomely to do it. Inside Milan's house, they found a handgun in a whiskey bag with a box of shells, and you guessed it, six bullets were missing. Not only that, but the gun was a 100% match to the one used to kill Alex. But before we get too carried away, Milan vehemently denied that it was him who had pulled the trigger and instead pointed the finger at a man named David Sigaviano. Speaking to David's girlfriend, she tells police that he has been acting really strange over the past few days. And then his roommate also told police that David had randomly cut off all of his hair. Now, this really surprised me, but David's girlfriend agrees to wiretap her phone to try and get more information from her boyfriend about the shooting. And police hit the jackpot because he completely spills the beans, confessing to his girlfriend that he was the one who shot Alex. And then he points the finger at Lawrence as the driver of the red Camaro and Milan for being the getaway driver of the white car. But then the biggie. He names Yelka Pesic as the mastermind behind the entire thing. She had hated her ex-daughter-in-law so much that she had sent her the book to freak her out and set the lawn on fire, finally hiring these men to kill her in broad freaking daylight. But it was actually a friend of Yelka's that ended up sealing her fate 
when she called police with an interesting tip. This friend claimed that she'd been visiting Yelka when suddenly she was asked if she wanted to go for a walk. Saying yes, she found herself walking right by Alex's house. And then all of a sudden, with no warning, Yelka set the front lawn on fire. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? This friend also said that Yelka was obsessed with the Cindy James book. And when she heard Alex had received a copy, she just knew that it must have been Yelka who had sent it. And lastly, days before the murder, she had seen Milan Nenedic at the Pessick's home. In 1993, the three men involved in the shooting, as well as Yelka Pesic, went on trial for Alex's murder. They were all found guilty and given the maximum sentence for first-degree murder in Canada, which was 25 years. No charges were ever laid against Alex's ex-husband Joe, as police couldn't prove that he'd had any involvement, but there has always been suspicion that he knew way more than he led on. Even though Joe was never charged, Alex's mum was awarded full custody of baby Brandon, which frankly is probably the best thing for him, considering how toxic the Pessics were. And we all know that that's what Alex would have wanted. Joe had basically abandoned his son and never paid Alex any child support for the baby that he had so viciously fought her custody for. Now, although that 25-year sentence was without parole, in 2008, Yelka applied for early release, but was denied. There was little, if any, sympathy for a woman who had had her innocent daughter-in-law gunned down because she felt betrayed by the divorce. Alex's family actually sued Yelka Pesic in a wrongful death claim, finally reaching a settlement of $350,000 to be used to care for Brandon until he turned 19, where he would then be given the remainder of the money as an inheritance, which is exactly what happened on his 19th birthday in 2008. Although a blessing that Brandon didn't have to grow up with a vile grandmother and a deadbeat dad, tragically that also means he missed out on knowing his beautiful, funny, caring mum, who through one chance meeting ended up with the mother-in-law from hell. To see today's case photos, click on the link in the case description to join the Cup of Coffee and Crime Facebook discussion group. Until next week, stay safe. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.